Welcome, welcome, welcome to the ASMR Garden. My name is Melly, and tonight I am so delighted to have you here with me. This episode was suggested by a dear friend of the podcast, Amber. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I've said this many times and I'll say it many, many more times before I ever feel like I've said it enough. But your emails, your comments, your reviews, your messages, just you in general, however you exist, is so wonderful to me. And many times when I get a message in whatever form it is, I can really, really feel the the emotions and the the excitement or the passion that you all have towards ASMR and it is so, so beautiful and it validates my love for ASMR. So, Amber suggested that I read The Little Prince. This is by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, maybe? did a quick, like, read-through, just like of the first chapter, and I, I absolutely love it. It's a, it's a decent length book, but I think we'll be able to really, um, dig into it. This shouldn't be too many parts, I'm thinking maybe two or three, but I'm gonna just read for half an hour and see how it goes. So I hope you can sit back, maybe snuggle up under a blanket, maybe get some hot chocolate. I don't have any more rambling, although I could go on and on and on and on. I will just cut it here, and let's get into The Little Prince. read the dedication. To Leon Worth, I ask the forbearance of the children who may read this book for dedicating it to a grown-up. My first and most serious reason is that he is the best friend I have in the world. My second reason is that this grown-up understands everything, even books about children. And my third reason is that he lives in France, where he is hungry and cold. He needs cheering up. If all of those reasons are not enough, I will dedicate the book to the little boy from whom this grown-up grew. All grown-ups were children once, although few of them remember it. And so I correct my dedication to Leon Worth when he was a little boy. Chapter 1 Once, when I was six years old, I saw a beautiful picture in a book about the primeval forest 
called True Stories. It showed a boa constrictor swallowing an animal. Here is a copy of the drawing. The book stated, Boa constrictors swallow their prey whole without chewing it, whereupon they can no longer move and sleep for six months digesting it. I then reflected deeply upon the adventures in the jungle, and in turn succeeded in making my first. Drawing with a colored pencil. My drawing number one was like this. I showed my masterpiece to the grown-ups and asked them if my drawing frightened them. They answered, Why should anyone be frightened by a hat? My drawing did not represent a hat. It was supposed to be a boa constrictor digesting an elephant. So I made another drawing of the inside of the boa constrictor to enable the grown-ups to understand. They always needed explanations. My drawing number two looked like this. The grown-ups then advised me to give up on my drawings of boa constrictors, whether from inside or the outside, and to devote myself instead to geography, history, arithmetic, and grammar. Thus it was that I gave up a magnificent career as a painter at the age of six. I had been disappointed by the lack of success of my drawing number one and my drawing number two. Grown-ups never understand anything by themselves, and it is rather tedious for children to have to explain things to them time and again. So I had to choose another job, and I learned to pilot aeroplanes. I flew more or less all over the world, and indeed geography has been extremely useful to me. I am able to distinguish between China and Arizona at a glance. It is extremely helpful if one gets lost in the night. As a result of which, I have been in touch throughout my life with all kinds of serious people. I have spent a lot of time with grown-ups. I have seen them at very close quarters, which I am afraid has not greatly enhanced my opinion of them. Whenever I met one who seemed reasonably clear-sighted to me, I showed them my drawing number one, which I had kept as an experiment. I wanted to find out whether he or she was truly understanding, but the answer is always, it is a hat. So I gave up mentioning boa constrictors or primeval forests or stars. I would bring myself down to his or her level and talk about bridge, golf, politics, and neckties, and the grown-up would be very pleased to have met such a sensible person. Chapter 2. Thus I lived alone, with no one I could really talk to, until I had an accident in the Sahara Desert six years ago. Something broke down in my engine, and since there was neither a mechanic nor a passenger with me, I prepared myself for a difficult, but what I hoped would be a successful repair. It was a matter of life or death for me. I had scarcely enough drinking water for a week. On the first night, I fell asleep on the sand, a thousand miles from any human habitation. I was far more isolated than a shipwrecked sailor on a raft in the middle of the ocean, 
So you can imagine my surprise at sunrise when an odd little voice woke me up. It said, Please, draw me a sheep. What? Draw me a sheep. I jumped up, completely thunderstruck. I rubbed my eyes, blinked hard, and looked carefully around me. And I discovered an extraordinary little boy watching me gravely. Here is the best portrait I was able to draw of him later. But of course, my drawing is not half as charming as its model. And it's not my fault. I had been discouraged by grown-ups in my career as a painter when I was six years old, and I hadn't learned to draw anything with the exception of boas from the outside and boas from the inside. I therefore stared in total astonishment at this. apparition. Do not forget that I was a thousand miles away from any inhabited region. But my little chap did not seem to be either lost or dead, tired or dying of hunger, thirst or fear. He did not look like a child lost in the middle of the desert, a thousand miles from any inhabited region. When I finally managed to speak, I said to him, but what are, what are you doing here? Whereupon he repeated softly and gravely, Please draw me a sheep. When a mystery is too overpowering, one dare not disobey. Absurd as it seemed to me a thousand miles from any human habitation and in danger of death, I took a sheet of paper and my fountain pen out of my pocket. But I suddenly remembered that my studies had been concentrated on geography, history, arithmetic, and grammar, so I told the little chap, a little crossly, that I did not know how to draw. He replied, that doesn't matter, draw me a sheep. Since I had never drawn a sheep, I drew for him one of the two pictures I had drawn before, that of the boa constrictor from the outside, and I was astounded to hear the little fellow saying, no, no, I don't want an elephant inside a boa. A boa constrictor is a very dangerous creature, and an elephant is very cumbersome. Everything is very small where I live. I need a sheep. Draw me a sheep. So I drew. He looked at it carefully and said, No, that one is already very sick. Draw me another one. And I drew. My little friend said gently and indulgently, don't you see that is not a sheep? It is a ram. It has horns. Once again, I made another drawing, but it was rejected too, like the previous one. This one is too old. I want a sheep that will live for a long time. My patience had run out by then, and I was in a hurry to start dismantling my engine as soon as possible, so I scribbled this drawing, and I explained... That is only the box. The sheep you asked for is inside. But I was very surprised to see the face of my young judge lighting up. That is exactly the way I wanted it. Do you think the sheep will need a lot of grass? Why? Because where I live, everything is so small. There should be enough grass for him. 
I have given you a very small sheep. He bent his head over the drawing. Not so small that, look, he has gone to sleep. And that is how I met the little prince. Chapter 3 It took me a long time to find out where he came from. The little prince who asked me so many questions never seemed to hear mine. It is thanks to the odd world here and there that everything was revealed to me. For instance, when he saw my aeroplane for the first time, I shall not draw my aeroplane, that would be far too complicated for me, he asked me, what is that object? It is not an object, it flies, it is an aeroplane, it is my aeroplane. And I was proud to be able to tell him that I could fly. He cried out, what? You dropped down from the sky? Yes, I replied modestly. Oh, that is funny. And the little prince broke into a lovely peal of laughter, which annoyed me to no end. I like my misfortunes to be taken seriously. So you too come from the sky. From which planet? I immediately perceived a ray of light in the mystery of his presence and at once questioned him. So you've come from another planet. But he didn't reply. He nodded gently whilst gazing at my aeroplane. It is true that on that you can't have come from very far away. And he sank into a long revere. Then, taking my sheep out of his pocket, he contemplated his treasure. You can imagine how my curiosity was aroused by this half-confidence about the other planet. So I tried to find out a little more. Where do you come from, my little fellow? Where is this where I live, of which you speak? Where do you want to take my sheep? After a thoughtful silence, he replied, What I like about the box you have given me is that he can use it at his house at night. Of course. And if you are good, I shall also give you a rope to tie him up during the day, and a post to tie him to. But the little prince seemed shocked by my proposal. Tie him up? What a funny idea. But if you do not tie him up, he will wander off and get lost. My friend burst out laughing again. But where would he go? Anywhere. Just straight ahead. Whereupon the little prince remarked gravely, It wouldn't matter. Everything is so small where I live. And perhaps a little wistfully he added, Straight ahead of oneself, one cannot go very far. Chapter 4 Thus I had learned a second very important thing, that his planet of origin was scarcely larger than a house. But that did not really surprise me very much. I knew full well that apart from the large planets, such as Earth, Jupiter, Mars, and Venus, which have been given names, there are hundreds of others which are sometimes so small that it is difficult to see them through a telescope. When an astronomer discovers one of them, he does not give it a name, but a number. He might call it, for example, 
Asteroid 325. I have serious reasons to believe that the little prince's planet of origin was the asteroid known as B612. This asteroid has only been observed once through a telescope by a Turkish astronomer in 1909. At the time, he has he organized a great demonstration of his discovery at an international astronomical congress, but because of his Turkish attire, nobody believed him. Grown-ups are like that. Fortunately for the reputation of asteroid B612, however, a Turkish dictator imposed a European costume upon his subjects under pain of death, so the astronomer repeated his demonstration in 1920 dressed in an elegant suit, and this time, everybody was convinced. If I have told you these details about asteroid B612 and revealed its number two, it is on account of grown-ups. Grown-ups love figures. When you talk to them about a new friend, they never ask questions about essential matters. They never say to you, what does his voice sound like? What games does he prefer? Does he collect butterflies? They ask you, how old is he? How many brothers does he have? How much does he weigh? How much money does his father earn? It is only then that they feel they know him. If you were to mention to grown-ups, I've seen a beautiful house built with pink bricks, with geraniums on the window sills and doves on the roof, they would not be able to imagine such a house. You would have to say to them, I saw a house worth a hundred thousand pounds. Then they would exclaim, Oh, how lovely. Thus, if you said to them, The proof that the little prince really existed was that he was enchanting, that he laughed, and that he wanted a sheep. Now, when you want a sheep, it proves that you exist. They will shrug their shoulders and will treat you as if you were a child. But if you say to them, the planet he came from was asteroid B612, then they will be convinced and leave you alone with their questions. That is the way they are. One must not hold it against them. Children show great understanding towards grown-ups. But of course, for those of us who understand life, we could not care less about figures I should have liked to start this story like a fairy tale. I should have liked to say, Once upon a time, there was a little prince who lived on a planet scarcely bigger than himself, and who had need of a friend. For those who understand what life is all about, it would have seemed closer to the truth. For I do not want my book to be read carelessly. I have experienced so much grief in setting down these memories. Six years have already elapsed since my little friend left me with his sheep. If I am at attempting to describe him, it is in order not to forget him. It is sad to forget a friend. Not everyone has had a friend. And I could become like grown-ups who are only concerned with figures. That is why I have bought a box of paints and some pencils. It is hard to take up drawing again at my age having never made any attempts other than drawing a boa from the outside and a boa from the inside at the age of six. I shall certainly endeavor to make my portraits as true to life as possible. 
but I am not at all sure of succeeding. One drawing is all right, another shows no resemblance at all to its subject. The height is not right either. Here, the little prince is too tall, there he is too small, and I am not sure about the color of his suit. So I persist by trial and error to the best of my ability. I shall also make mistakes about some more important details, but I must be forgiven for that. My friend never explained anything to me. Perhaps he thought I was like him, but unfortunately, I cannot see sheep through boxes. Perhaps I am a little like grown-ups. I am getting old. Chapter 5 Each day I learned something about the planet, about the little prince's departure from it, about his journey. The information would come very slowly, following the course of the little prince's thoughts. Thus, it was that on the third day, I heard about the catastrophe of the Baobabs. Once again, it was thanks to the sheep for suddenly the little prince questioned me as if I was seized by a grave doubt. It is true, is it not, that sheep eat little shrubs? Yes, that is true. Ah, I'm glad. I did not understand why the fact that sheep eat shrubs was so important, but the little prince added, therefore, they also eat baobabs? I pointed out to the little prince that baobabs are not little bushes, but trees as tall as churches, and that even if he were to take a whole herd of elephants with him, the herd would not be able to eat up one single baobab. The little prince laughed at the idea of a herd of elephants. One would have to pile them up on top of the other. But then he remarked wisely, Before they grow to such a size, Baobabs start out being small. That is true. But why do you want your sheep to eat such small baobabs? He answered me. Oh, come, come. As if this was self-evident. I had to exert considerable mental efforts to work the problem out for myself. It seemed that on the little prince's planet, as on all planets, there were good plants and bad plants. Good seeds come from good plants and bad seeds come from bad plants. But seeds are invisible. They remain dormant in the depths of the earth until one of them suddenly decides to wake up. It stretches itself timidly at first and then begins to push a charming little sprig inoffensively towards the sun. If it is merely a sprout of radish or a sprig of rosebush, it can be left to grow as it wishes. But if it is a weed, it should be torn out at once, as soon as it is recognized. It so happens that there were some terrible seeds on the little prince's planet. There were baobab seeds. The soil of the planet was infested with them. But if you intervene too late, you will never get rid of the baobab. It spreads over the entire planet. Its roots bore clear through it. And if the planet is too small, and if there are too many baobabs, the planet explodes. It is a question of discipline, said the little prince to me later. 
When you have finished your toilet in the morning, it is time to attend to the planet's toilet with great care. One must pull out the baobabs very regularly as soon as they can be distinguished from the rose bushes they resemble so closely when they are very young. It is very tedious work, but also very easy. And one day he advised me to try and make a beautiful drawing so as to impress all this upon the children where I live. He said to me, if they travel one day, it might be of use to them. It may be convenient sometimes to pull off one's work until another day, to put off one's work until another day. But in the case of the baobabs, it is always catastrophic to do so. I knew a planet inhabited by a very lazy man. He had neglected three little bushes. So basing my work upon the description of the little prince, I made the drawing you have just seen. I don't like to sound like a moralist, but the danger of baobabs is so little known, and the risk is so considerable to whomever might get lost on an asteroid that, for once, I make an exception to my reserve. I say, children, beware of baobabs. It is in order to warn my friends of a danger of which they, like me, have been unaware for so long, that I may have worked so hard over this drawing. My lesson was worth it. You may ask yourselves, why are there no other drawings in this book as impressive as the drawing of Baobabs? The answer is simple. I have tried, but with the others have not had the slightest success. When I drew the Baobabs, I was driven by a feeling of urgency. Chapter 6 Ah, little prince. Bit by bit, I came to understand your sad little life. For a long time, your only entertainment had been the pleasure of watching sunsets. I learned that new detail on the morning of the fourth day when you said to me, I am very fond of sunsets. Let us go and watch a sunset. But we must wait. Wait for what? Wait for the sun to set. You looked very surprised at first, and then you laughed to yourself and said to me, I keep thinking I am at home. Yes, indeed. When it is midday in the United States, the sun, as everyone knows, is setting in France. One would just have to travel in one minute to France to be able to watch the sun setting there. Unfortunately, France is too far away for that. But on your tiny little planet, all you needed to do was to move your chair a few steps, and you could watch the twilight falling whenever you felt like it. One day, I watched the sun setting 44 times, you told me, and a little later you added, you know, when one is so terribly sad, one loves sunsets. The day you watched 44 sunsets, were you sad? I asked. But the little prince made no reply. Chapter 7 On the fifth day, and once again thanks to the sheep, the secret of the little prince's life was revealed to me. Without any preamble, and as if it were the result of a silently thought-out problem, he asked me abruptly, A sheep, 
If it eats bushes, does it eat flowers too? A sheep eats anything it comes across. Even flowers with thorns? Yes, even flowers with thorns. Then the thorns, what use are they? I did not know. I was very busy trying to unscrew a bolt which had got stuck in my engine. I was deeply worried as the breakdown of my plane was beginning to look extremely serious to me. My drinking water was running out fast, and I could only fear the worst. Thorns, what use are they? The little prince never let go of a question once he had raised it. I was annoyed about my bolt, and I answered with the first thing that came to my mind. Thorns are quite useless. Flowers have them out of sheer spite. Oh! But after a moment of silence, he said with a kind of resentfulness, I don't believe you. Flowers are weak. They are naive. They reassure themselves as best as they can. They believe that their thorns are terrible. I did not answer. At that instant, I was saying to myself, If this bolt continues to resist me, I shall knock it off with a hammer. Once again, the little prince intruded upon my thoughts. And do you actually believe the flowers? No, no. I don't believe anything. I just answered any old how. I am busy with serious matters. He stared at me in total astonishment. Serious matters? He could see me with a hammer in my hand, my fingers black with engine grease, bending down over an object which seemed to him extremely ugly. You talk just like grown-ups. This made me feel a little ashamed of myself. Relentlessly, he added, You are confusing everything, mixing everything up. He was really quite angry. He shook his little golden locks in the wind. I know of a planet where there is a red-faced gentleman. I know of a planet where there is a red-faced man. I know of a planet where there is a red-faced gentleman. He has never smelled a flower. He has never looked at a star. He has never loved anybody. He has spent all his time adding up figures. And all day, he keeps repeating, like you. I am busy with serious matters. I am busy with serious matters. Over and over again and he swells up with pride, but he is not a man. He is a mushroom. A what? A mushroom. The little prince was now pale with anger. For millions of years, flowers have been growing thorns, and for millions of years, sheep have still been eating flowers. And is it not worth trying to understand why they go to such lengths to grow thorns, which are of no use to them? Is the war between sheep and flowers not important? Not more serious and more important than the sums of the red-faced gentleman. And if I know of a flower which is unique in the world and grows nowhere other than on my planet, and that a small sheep can destroy it with a single bite, just like that, one morning, without realizing what it is doing, is that not important? He blushed and continued, If someone loves a flower of which there is only one on the millions and millions of stars, it is enough to make him happy when he looks at them, for he can say to himself, 
My flower is somewhere out there. But if the sheep eats the flower, it is for him as if, all of a sudden, all the stars went dark. And you think that is not important. He could say no more because he was overcome with tears. Night had fallen. I had dropped my tools. I couldn't have cared less about my hammer, my bolt, thirst, or death. There was on a star, a planet, mine, the earth, a little prince to be comforted. I took him in my arms and rocked him gently. I said to him, The flower you love is in no danger. I shall draw you a muzzle for your sheep. I shall draw you a fence for your flower. I I did not really know what to say to him. I felt very awkward. I did not know how to reach him, how to catch up with him. The land of tears is so mysterious. And that is it for this episode. I really hope you enjoyed the story. I quite enjoyed it. And I feel like... I've got so much to think about. I hope you are all resting well, that you have also been moved by this book the same way that I have, and I hope that you will tune in for the next portion of the book whenever that comes out. Have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful evening. Sleep well. Good night.